one thing about being a lawyer is we're really great at learning new things and learning new rules and understanding new concepts. And there's no reason why you can't sort of pivot, get an understanding of what's involved in that industry and really dive in. Well, there's plenty of difficulty around it. I'm not going to say, hey, just switch over and it, you know there will be no pain. But you should certainly understand that there are a lot of opportunities out there to, to jump and do something that you, you really love if that's what you want, if that's what you're looking for. This is Personal Jurisdiction, a podcast where we get personal with lawyers about their careers. We're your hosts. I'm Allison Friedman. And I'm Hallie Ritsu. Join us for season two as we explore the variety of career paths available to JDs. Allison, we are here for another excellent episode of Personal Jurisdiction. Who is our guest today? Well, Hallie, our guest is none other than David Dorman, who is the general counsel at Downtown Music Holdings. He started his career in the corporate group at Catton in Chicago, and then he spent two years at Vetter Price also in Chicago. David joined Downtown Music Holdings as legal counsel and director of acquisitions, and then he transitioned to serve as vice president of legal and business affairs before becoming general counsel. He's a graduate of Tufts University and the University of Chicago Law School. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Personal Jurisdiction. We're here today with David Dorman. David, it's so nice to welcome you to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you both. Awesome. So we just want to start at the beginning of your law school story, which I know for you kind of started in college. So can you tell us how you made your way to law school? Yeah. When I was younger, I think like a lot of future lawyers or a lot of lawyers out there, people, especially, you know, my family really thought, I argue a lot. I'm kind of obstinate. I tend to be stubborn. <laughs> I'm not the best in math. So you know what? He's going to be a future lawyer. So when I got to college, I always had that in the back of my mind. It didn't become concrete until a little bit later in my career or a little bit later in my college tenure. I think around sophomore year when Tufts had this program called Tufts Law Day on the Hill, where they invited lawyers to come speak in a panel, and it was really lawyers from all over the industry. So international lawyer, a venture capital lawyer, more traditional corporate lawyer. And it, it gave me some insight into the various opportunities there are for lawyers, because before that, I really thought lawyers are only what you see on TV, litigators, mm-hmm. closing arguments, etc. which, you know, I appreciate public speaking, but I think seeing the variety of opportunity really made me think, you know what, law school is truly a viable option that won't just pigeonhole me in a one option after graduation. So that was really cool. I think the other positive is that it really opened my eyes to what you need to do to get into law school. So they talked a little bit about the LSAT, about preparation, about some of the skills and things you need to develop to be successful in law school. So that really kind of, you know, the day after I was like, all right, I really need to start taking this seriously and start making sure that my transcript and my preparation puts me in the right place to start. And so you went to law school here in the great city of Chicago at the University of Chicago Law School. Mm -hmm. And what were the experiences that you had during law school 
that continued to open your eyes to all of the opportunities that lawyers have that aren't just litigation and law and order <laughs> opportunities. Yeah. The University of Chicago takes an interesting approach to the law. So like we had some unique classes to start. One of the classes we did was called Elements of the Law, which was my first year. And it sort of takes a very diverse approach, if you will, to the study of the law, really a focus on economics and sort of understanding the law from many different perspectives, not just court or litigation. But much like any other law school, the rest of my first year was really centered around core courses that tend to focus on what you think of in law, like mm -hmm. criminal law, yeah. torts, etc., you know, civil procedure. Mm -hmm. So it gave me some understanding that first year that there is other stuff out there, but it still felt like this is, you know, most people are going to leave law school, go to a law firm and litigate, or they're going to clerk. So I really needed to branch out a little bit. I think where I found a little more clarity as to my path was in my first summer. I worked for a law firm, a small law firm in Chicago, where I got to go to different departments and really experience exactly what the work entailed. And that's kind of how I learned. Like people can tell me about what people do all day, but if I don't get to touch it a little bit, it's really hard for me to envision it in the abstract. So I got to experience litigation from a junior associate perspective and I did not like it at all. <laughs> not, not because there isn't a lot of interesting things they do, but when you're a junior, especially in a law firm context, a lot of what you do is research, case research, site checking, and, and making sure that you have the right precedent. And you can sort of go into rabbit holes of finding the correct precedent for a case and, and understanding those things. And I had friends that absolutely loved that. They were like carrying around their blue book around campus, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> were like, not, "I'm not doing not that for me. Not my, uh, not my cup of tea." I respected it, but certainly not what I wanted to do. And so I, I went around sort of some other departments as well, dabbled in securities litigation and some other areas to get a sense of what people did. Bankruptcy. I think for a while I thought bankruptcy might be interesting, just because it was like, you know what, you get the opportunity to do some of the things in litigation that I found interesting, like the mm -hmm. presentation aspect of it. And then you also have some transactional aspects. So that was, there was a period where I was hedging a bit and I was like, you know, that might be interesting. I think when I got into my second summer and, and really decided, you know what, I'm eliminating litigation. So let me jump into the transactional piece of things. So I spent my second summer at a larger law firm and I really confirmed my suspicion that transactional law is really where I want to be. And when I was able to determine that, I, I really focused in on corporate M&A. And then I think below that was debt finance or corporate finance. And then right below that was real estate, just because they're you know, all transactional and have some similar aspects, though they're very different in other ways. So as I was sort of rotating through those groups, I realized I like a lot of this, but corporate was the broadest and would give me the most options moving forward. I liked the idea of being a lawyer who's really focused on both business and law. And so that's that's how I, at the firm that I was at, you rank your choices after law school, sort of what departments you want to be in. And I put corporate first and was lucky enough to get it. So that was that was really great. 
I think it's interesting. First, two things. One, that you tried out a lot of different things to come down to a process of elimination, but also that by eliminating things, you were able to then hone in even more specifically on what it was that you really enjoyed. And so I think as a law student or a young lawyer, it can be really hard to be like, I'm going to let that thing go. (laughs) But kind of trusting your gut and your instincts and just saying like, okay, I don't like the legal research. I don't like the legal writing. I don't, even though my friends are carrying around their blue books, that's not really what I'm connecting with. And being able to let go of some of that in some ways is scary, but I think it can be kind of freeing and then allows you to really hone in more specifically on what it is that you are connecting with. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's something that you it's hard to learn during school, but I think it's something that you, you really need to get a grasp on as you go into your career is sometimes you need to pivot and sometimes you really need to reevaluate what it is that you want and what it is that makes you happy and then go in that direction. Because school, even when you're in law school and you're sort of, you know, in a professional school, everybody has life experience, and everybody's an adult, it can still feel like it's guiding you in a particular path. So like, oh, you know, I need to do these classes in 1L and 2L, and then I need to get this job in a law firm and then do my eight years and then be a partner, or I need to get a clerkship and do this. And you start to feel, at least I did, you start to feel kind of guardrailed into a particular path. And if you don't mm-hmm. stop and realize it, 10 years pass by and you're like, wait, I, I never like wanted this. to do this to begin with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I could absolutely see the world where I was like a litigator and I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's especially interesting, David, that you had the experience in undergrad and it sounds like Tufts did a great job of bringing in a bunch of different types of lawyers to give you insight into the fact that the legal profession is so broad and varied, and it doesn't just mean the litigator type. But even so, you still spent some time giving it a try and then trying other things. I love to see that. And I think that's a great way to approach law school too, when you're not completely sure what you want to do. Absolutely. I think I was really lucky because like a lot of other lawyers out there, I didn't have any lawyers in my immediate family, anyone who sort of had that perspective or had been through that process, or at least in in America. So Mm -hmm. it was really good to get a little bit of context. So I knew there was some optionality and that I could approach law school in that fashion. But um, yeah, I I really do. I appreciate Tufts for having that aspect of of preparation. Yeah. And especially in thinking about having to get over, like many of us did, kind of the pressure to do that certain thing that's more common or more prestigious in law school. That's a tough path to forge yep. on your own. Absolutely. It was it was definitely a good skill to get because I sort of approach my whole career like that now where it's like, yeah. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But like yes. the sooner you can learn that, the better. It's really exactly. tough. Exactly. And you'll likely be a lot more successful at it is what I've realized, which is great. Tell us a little bit what you did at the large law firm right out of law school. You said you were lucky enough to end up in the corporate group, which you had ranked first. So tell us what your work looked like in the, I think it was two-ish years that you were at that large law firm in Chicago. Yeah. So I was focused primarily on middle market private equity. 
So essentially, the main focus of my work will be representing private equity funds and their acquisition of small companies or mid-sized companies, usually with a particular platform, right? Like they would acquire one company in a particular industry and then start rolling up other companies. So it meant everything that you might think of if you if you have any understanding of mergers and acquisitions, which is like going into a process where they identify a company that they think, you know, this might be the company that has some opportunity or has some upside. So we want to purchase this company. The law firm comes in, we do diligence on their contracts that they have, their different legal risks and issues that might be there. And then once that diligence is complete, or usually during the process of that diligence, we prepare documentation for the acquisition of the company and we negotiate that with the company's counsel. So a lot of my work was on behalf of private equity funds. Some of my work was on behalf of other companies that were acquiring other companies strategically. So they wouldn't necessarily be in the private equity world or money management world, but they would be just another company who thought we want to grow in this sector or we want to grow in general. Here we've identified another company that might be a synergistic addition that might help us succeed. So we would come in and sort of help with that process. It was a really interesting world because I really knew nothing of it before law school. I had one class in law school, sort of a business school slash law school collaboration that really gave me some insight into private equity, which I appreciated. It was more of the on the business school side, which was difficult because of the because of the sort of math and valuation aspect of it. But I have some friends that really helped me through. And I think that gave me also some perspective on this kind of work. But it was it was hard work just because of the nature of like you're doing deal after deal after deal and they can take up a lot of your time. They can they can really be grueling, especially in the middle of it. And then when they end there's just another one for you. But uh I always found it super interesting. Like I, I really did like sort of the aspect of, of working with different companies and different spaces and, and getting a sense of their underlying business and realizing that I had to understand their underlying business and I had to understand their goals in order to be successful and helping them through what is a lot of times a transformational process. David, I know that there were a couple of unique things about that first firm that you worked at. I think one is that there weren't a ton of mid-level associates at the time that you came in. So you were really thrown into it, as you said. (laughs) And two is that, you know, you mentioned doing middle market transactions, which I think allowed you to kind of see the full transaction all the way through, not just doing due diligence as a young associate, but really kind of seeing that whole deal all the way through. And so I'm curious if you knew about those aspects of the firm when you chose it, or if that was just kind of lucky happenstance that you ended up falling into a place that had that. And if it was, if that's something you would recommend that law students who are looking to kind of get into this line of work look for some or all of those aspects of a particular firm? Yeah, I had some sense that that's what it was about, or that's how the firm operated. When I first interviewed there, that was really the sense that I got. And what a lot of people said, like, hey, we staff leanly, and we really, we really give people responsibility early on. The comparison a lot of times was, 
a lot of other firms would have much larger deals and you'd sort of be working on one singular aspect of it. So a lot of times when folks come into big law firms and mergers and acquisitions, they're simply doing the diligence part for at least the first few months, especially later on, and then maybe some drafting some of the ancillary documents to a sort of acquisition, ancillary around the purchase agreement. So when folks said that, I wasn't quite sure whether it was real or whether it was just sort of marketing for <laughs> associates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, every firm likes to say they have the sort of best process. But when I jumped in, it was exactly as they said. Sort of we come, we walked in the door and that first day you're kind of paired up with a particular partner and he's like, here are two deals. Let's walk through it. And it was scary because I literally, I didn't know what the process was. I had no yeah. idea. And a lot of what they do are like, well, here's similar transactions and here's some of the things you're going to need to think through and copy. And here's a deck of what the business is and let's work through it. I think at other firms, you're you're usually going to have, you know, somebody that's like a fifth year associate who's going to sit there and walk you through it. But I was working on my first couple of deals with an equity partner who did not have all of the time to really (laughs) do that. But it it was really an awesome experience to jump right in. And I sort of mentioned earlier part of the way I learn is really by getting involved. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to sort of do the theoretical part first and then the learning part. It's usually easier for me to jump in, make a few mistakes in a guided fashion and then get some theoretical guidance. So it was really helpful to get my hands dirty early. I absolutely made mistakes, but I think I really took to it pretty fast and jumped in and, and, and really sort of did a lot of a lot of deals or a lot of hours those uh, that first year for our whole corporate group. It was just a really busy time. We were, I think it was just about that moment where we were truly coming out of the recession. So the MA activity was really hot. And so that was awesome. And your feeling is like, oh no, I, I really can't mess up and I need to, you know, make sure that I'm it just sort of leads into a nervousness of the process, even if you've done sort of all the little things, you haven't quite gotten to the position where you can see the full field yet, and you can sort of negotiate around the whole force rather than being you know, a little bit in the weeds. I think going through this process where I was dealing with smaller transactions and I was working, a lot of times it would be a very small law firm or sole proprietor on the other side, but where I can negotiate a lot of these points out loud and really be a part of the game early on. I think when I was doing larger deals and leading the process, it just really helped me not be nervous, not be afraid. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. This isn't me getting thrown into a situation that I'm not fully prepared for. So that was a really great sort of aspect of that. David, it sounds like you did have a really good experience at this firm, but based on my extremely limited practice of doing one deal once that mm-hmm. almost killed me. No. <laughs> I know that <laughs> I know that it can be really tough, you know, a really tough lifestyle too. So you moved to another firm about two years after. What were your reasons? What was your thought process behind moving on to another firm? Yeah, it's funny. I was earlier talking to Allison about this. And it's like I have the the reasons that I sort of told myself, I guess, and the reasons that I uh, had articulated, especially for my story and then like yeah. the full story. Yeah, I think yeah. the my general thought process was getting thrown into the fire was the best thing for me. 
in terms of my development. It was, I really do think it's the way I needed to learn yeah. to just sort of get that experience up front and be able to absorb it. But I really did want a little bit more structure in terms of building my skills from a, a details perspective. Like, yes, I could take a step back and understand the whole process, but I wanted to make sure that in each sub-step along the way, I was an expert. And that's really difficult when you do after deal, after deal, after deal, with no sort of breath to stop and do an analysis, do a post-mortem of the things that you did, or to review like the sort of anatomy of a transaction. So that was one thing. I was looking for a place that really had that aspect. And I think a lot of what I learned was, you know, learning those details was really a lot through great feedback at, at my firm. So that was good. But I did want those moments to truly take advantage of some learning. And I think because we were so leanly staffed and because we were so busy, that was difficult. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult to get that. I think another piece of it is exactly what you mentioned. I came in and I don't think like I've, you know, my whole life I've done, I've worked really hard and I've worked really long hours yeah. to get to where I was. I don't know that I could have anticipated the type of work or the level of work that I was doing. So fast forward a little bit, I think I'm towards, you know, the end of my second year and I, you know, I needed to take a bit of a break, but it also happened to be my sister's wedding. Uh, so that weekend, I'm in the middle of a transaction. I had a really great friend who was like, you know what, I, I can cover for you so you can go. So I told our uh, senior at the time, and I absolutely could have done a better job of like setting things up to make sure they were exactly what they were. But I know part of me is like, all right, I need to you know, get back, go to my sister's place and like really enjoy what's going to happen. And I just remember during that process, I kept getting calls about the transaction and, you know, hey, where's this? Can we do that? So I remember I was on the way back from, uh, or way to my sister's rehearsal dinner and I got a call about like a, like a board consent for a project. I was like, you really need to have somebody else do this. Like, I get that you like wanted this, but I, I don't want to deal with this right yeah. now. And that was probably the first time where I was really like, I, up until then, I was sort of, of the, you know, I was a good soldier, I guess you'd call it. I yeah. was of the kind of, I will do whatever it takes. Because, you know, I, I think I grew up that way. And in most big law firms, there are not a lot of Black associates. There are not a lot of yeah. Black partners. And in that position, my thought process was always, it was a combination of, and I don't really like the term, but I don't have better language for it. But it was a combination of in, imposter syndrome and a little bit of a scarcity mindset in the sense that I thought if I do not do everything to be perfect, somebody will take this opportunity away from me, which was the best economic opportunity I'd ever had. Yeah. The best economic opportunity anybody in my family had ever had. And I just mm -hmm. didn't want to lose it. So up until then, I said yes to everything. And I did every possible thing that I could to be a perfect associate. And I just remembered, like, I was in the car on the phone with a senior associate. I was like, the thing I'm going to remember about my sister's wedding is this story, is this yeah. problem. So I was so frustrated. I actually, I mean, I told them, like, listen, I, you can take me off this deal. I'm not, like, I'm not doing this right now. Mm -hmm. We can talk about this when I get back. So I really got frustrated and came back to the office after the weekend, um, like, you know, flew back and 
had a you know one-on-one conversation with this person and yeah and words were said but um <laughs> to the firm's credit like they understood my point of view it wasn't like i was scapegoated or anything or anyone was like oh no like david you know why'd you do this i think they completely understood like listen you have done a great job to date and we get that you're tired and we get that you wanted to enjoy you know your time with your sister so i did appreciate some of that support but regardless, I think in the back of your mind, after you've kind of gone through a process where you're at a law firm and you feel like you've had a perfect track record, and then you have this moment, which is kind of monumental, and you're like, wait, who am I at this firm now? I thought I was a golden child. And now with one of the people who I hold in high esteem, who, who really have a reputation here, my reputation, I feel like has been a little tarnished, even though no one has told me that and they don't have any you know, sense of it. So in the back of my mind, I was, you know, a few months had gone by, the doubt that may have been a little seed before becomes real. It's like, am I, am I good at this? Am I not, is, do I not have enough stamina to really hack it? Do I need a new place to sort of, you know, start afresh? So I actually just, I just went through the process. I, I got a, uh, a recruiter, and sort of worked through, you know, she gave me some options for law firms. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to move law firms when you're two years in. Found an interesting law firm that kind of had the things that I was thinking about before. Like, I would still be able to do interesting transactions and get a lot of responsibility. But they had this thing, sort of this, the firm's better price, and they called it like Better Price University, where mm-hmm. you go through some training processes and think through transactions. You step back, I was like, okay, this is perfect. And I met some of the partners and senior associates there whom I really liked. So I, you know, signed up my offer letter. And I remember <laughs> at my old firm, uh, folks came back like, wait, what? You're leaving? Like, don't, <laughs> don't accept an offer. Like, we will, like, just give us a moment to get our things together. And I was like, I already accepted. And I was so surprised by how, how shocked they were and by how much they had seemed to appreciate my work. And I just didn't fully understand that at the time just because the only thing I was thinking about was this one (laughs) run-in that I had that it really tarnished my experience a little bit. Thanks for sharing that, David, because that is, I think, a common experience when you're an associate, but I think it must be really difficult to take the chance and express how you're feeling when you are kind of the junior associate on the deal. And also being, I will say, brave enough to start for looking for other opportunities. And even though the firm communicated to you when you were already leaving, hey, we appreciate you and you've been doing great work, it, it wasn't enough. And you found a different opportunity, a better situation for you, which is tough when you kind of have grown up at the same firm and you're, you know, you like your colleagues and you're used to how things work there. Absolutely. I think one thing I learned and one thing I probably do a little differently is you have to, you have to make the right decisions. You have to base it on sort of how you feel and what you want to do. And you also have to have the right conversations. I think I kind of suffered in silence a little bit too much. And there, to, you know, to the firm's defense, I feel like there were plenty of people there who, if I had really sort of had real conversations, it might've been a different experience, but like, as 
again, sort of not necessarily having a lot of people that either look like me or that had the same sort of experience as me was difficult. And honestly, not to take away, I actually had one partner who was our the chief diversity officer at the firm, mm-hmm. and she was incredible. She sort of had two jobs to do, but she was really great. And she was one of the reasons why I went to the firm and honestly very supportive. So like mm-hmm. one of the things you know, if I had truly sort of sat back and thought about how I want to approach this, I would have talked to her a little bit more too. But as you mentioned, as a junior, it's it's a little bit ruled a bit more by fear. You just, you don't want, you don't want to be in a situation where you're caught off guard. So you're defensive, yeah. which is understandable. But um, I think the way that I try to approach my career now is having honest conversations yeah. in order to make sure that I have perfect information to make the decisions that I want to make. Yeah, I think one of the goals that we have on the podcast is to share some of this information and some of these stories. And we appreciate you being so open about it because exactly like you're saying, like, I think there are so many people out there who would say like, either, you know, I'm the only black associate in my group, or I'm the only woman in this group, you know, among financial services lawyers or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. so I feel kind of alone in this situation. and I don't know how to navigate this. And so you end up putting so much pressure, as you said, to be perfect all the time, which leads to burnout, which leads to, you know, situations like your sister's wedding, because you don't feel like you can set boundaries. And so it's helpful, I think, just to know that other people, lots of people, most people out there like have, you know, some of these experiences and normalizing that so that hopefully people feel more comfortable having those conversations, setting those boundaries, and can, if they want to, stay in the setting by having the conversations, as you've said, if that's something they want to do. And that may not be the case, it might be the right thing to move on. But just knowing that there are other people out there who feel similarly, I think is so huge. Absolutely. No, I think it's it's incredibly helpful. And I found that helpful to sort of listen to podcasts and talk to different people and, and get a sense of, of their story. And it's, it's certainly been helpful for me. Yeah. After a couple years at your second firm at Vetter Price, you transitioned to an in-house role with Downtown Music Holdings in New York. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like and why did you make that decision? Yeah. So actually backtracking a little bit to my first firm, I always, it's funny, I feel like I've probably embellished in my mind this story, but it was so kind of central to how I was thinking about things. <laughs> I remember a bunch of just our corporate team was sitting in the cafeteria, like sort of talking about what exactly it is we wanted to do moving forward. Oh, do you want to be a partner? Do you think you want to go in house lift at some point? Or like, how are you going to approach your career? You know, and some of us said, you know, partner or this, that, or I'm not sure. And I was kind of one of the, I'm not sure. And one of my friends was like, I want to be a GM at an NBA basketball team. And I was like, <laughs> you're like, say what? what? Why are you here? You, you've made the wrong choices, sir. No, but um, I was, it was just so interesting how specific he was about exactly what he wanted. And I was not sure at all. Like I was like, I can be a partner, I can go announce, I can do this. I'm not, I have no idea. And then I think about six months later, he'd followed another partner to go work in-house at a really awesome NBA basketball team. And he <laughs> was doing behold, there he was. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> he had manifested that, right? He was um, <laughs> he was doing both in-house legal work, but also some basketball operations where he was like in the war room and doing some cool stuff. So I was just, you know, first jealous, but second, I really thought about 
what is it that I want? What do I want to do? Do I, am I, a lot of people are happy doing M&A and, and corporate work regardless of the industry, because it's just interesting to go from industry to industry and work on widgets and get an understanding of sort of different areas. I think during my time in my second firm, I had did one sort of very interesting transaction. It was complex and it was really with a really great private equity client that I really liked, but it was a sort of platform roll up in the elevator services space. And I had no interest. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Elevator services? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel bad saying it because it was a great company and like awesome people that were there. And it was an awesome sort of, it ended up being a really successful play, but it was sort of, you know, you're going through the diligence process and you're like, this does not, you know, Marie Kondo, this is not spark joy. So I, um, <laughs> I love it. was thinking through, that's when I really got serious about what it is that I love. And I just love music. I'm a really big hip hop head. I'm a really big music person. So is everybody else in my family. It's just central to sort of every moment and every part of my life. And so as I kept thinking about what I wanted to do, I kept coming back to music. Like I had done sort of, I had been in a band with my sister and actually my now brother-in-law in in college. We we had a lot of fun. It was like a hip hop R&B band. And I also, when I was, I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts and always did a lot of rapping with a lot of my friends. And that was a big thing where I grew up. It just sort of hip hop played a central role in what we did. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to do when I was older, there was always a lawyer, rapper, randomly sort of like FBI agent. I had random sort of desires, but like <laughs> those were always there. And so when I was at my second firm and thinking about what it is exactly that I want to do, that just kept coming back to the forefront. So I just started getting serious about, all right, I want to do music. I remember I, at one point I just applied to one random job a music council job. And of course, like, you know, a company might be asking for a junior music council, but they want like 20 years of music experience. So it's It's incredibly, it's a very insular industry Mm -hmm. in the sense that everyone knows everyone and you really only sort of get in if you already have relationships in the industry or you have somehow sort of started out early in the industry. So I was really focused on how do I pivot into it. So I took a different approach than I did when I sort of moved law firms. I hired an executive coach who was really helping me through refining my mission, like what it is that I want and how I'm going to get there and sort of adapting my resume and cover letters to attain those things, which I think was really helpful, right? She wasn't helping me place anywhere. She was just helping me make sure that I had a refined scope and understood exactly what I wanted and was prepared to go for it and to adopt my story to fit, you know, those needs. So probably six months go by or even longer and a position or I had a, I actually started the way that I was looking for things, not to give a plug, but I started on goinhouse.com. You can like filter out like the kind of jobs you're looking for. So I put in music and entertainment and every morning I'd wake up and they'd be like, okay, these jobs, these jobs. And I'd think about what made sense to apply to. And it was a little disheartening at first. Like it's it's difficult to you know break in when you're just m I don't really have that music background other than my passion for it. So sort of midway through that process, I had, I put together a showcase for Chicago artists just because I was, I was impatient. So I like 
got a bunch of friends that I knew in the industry or people that artists really not like industry friends, but people that I loved their music and some sort of cold calls like, Hey, I'm doing the show. If you'd like to come and I made it free. So I kind of put all of my, I put a lot of money into it without the expectation of really getting anything back. And it was just, it was awesome. Like it was just such a cool night of like singing and rapping and having like great friends there. And it kind of solidified my thought that, Oh, I really just want to be in this industry. So probably a few months later, I got this alert for a job at downtown where they were really looking to start expanding. And so they wanted an M&A role and they said, I will you know, teach this person the music aspect of it. Um, so it was really focused on Merch the Next Night, right? I was ding, like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I got that and I want that. <laughs> exactly. I immediately, I like dropped everything that I was doing, put together my you know resume and cover letter, which I had prepared in a, you know, thankfully sent that stuff out, got sort of an informational call immediately. And I was like, all right, let's talk about this. And I remember it was with who's now my dear friend, uh, who's the head of people at downtown, Lisa Altman. And she was telling me about how uh, we're going to do sort of a Google meet with some other people just to see if, you know, I fit. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be in New York this weekend. So I might as well meet them in person. And she's like, really? I was like, yeah, I'm visiting my brother. And then I immediately proceeded to buy tickets to New York. I'm not going to be in New York. That is so oh, smart, no. though. I was like, you are going to see me. And if you're going to reject me, you're going to do it to my yeah, eyes. And so, yeah. yeah, it was great. Got to meet the, a lot of people I still work with now and actually ended up going back like three more times because we are incredibly thorough with hires and then got the position. I actually, before that, had called my friend who I went to college with who was working there at the time. And he really gave me some great insight before I went down and, and talked to folks. So it was it was amazing. And I was so excited to make that transition. I didn't think I would get that opportunity. And it's funny because, you know, before that, there were some opportunities that I didn't get. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so lucky that I was able to get this role. Yeah. I got there and they were working on, um, they were already sort of, they were getting started on acquiring some other companies. Mm-hmm. So my role, my starting role actually was legal counsel and director of acquisitions. And that meant I would both be acquiring music catalogs. So in the music industry, what's really hot right now is acquiring songwriting catalogs. So you might see like Bruce Springsteen just sold his catalog. I think it's both masters in songwriting, but music publishing catalog. So that would be one aspect that I'd really have to start to learn. And my boss, Peter Rosenthal, who is the mentor that I had always wished for, and was just incredible, really taught me from the beginning. And he's a, it's funny because he's incredibly professorial. So I was super lucky to have someone, which is exactly what I was looking for. If you remember earlier on in my career, he's that person that would sit down for like, you know, he's, he was a general counsel. So he had, he didn't have that much time, but he would sit down for an hour or hours and explain sort of esoteric concepts in intellectual property and music publishing and, and, in music in general, which was incredibly helpful. So I learned that aspect, but I also got to just jump into the corporate mergers and acquisitions because I already had that background. So I was able to kind of prove my value immediately and go through these transformational acquisitions that we were doing. Like that first deal we did, we acquired what's called AVL, which has one of our brands like CD Baby and a few of our other brands. And that was essentially 
acquisition of a company that was the same size as our existing company. So we doubled our size, but I was able to really jump in and, and learn a lot and lead on a legal front and show that, hey, I can provide value here as I'm learning this other side. And then slowly was learning the other side of it. So it was really, honestly, in many ways, the perfect opportunity, which was great. I just want to go back for one second to how you got this job because you worked so hard and thought very deeply about what it was. I love that story about your friend who was like, I want to go into, you know, being a GM essentially. And you're like, wait, what? But I just think like taking the time to really like think about, is there something that I'm really passionate about that I want to kind of fold into my legal space? Like the law is really cool in the sense that like you can be a lawyer, but you can do that in so many spaces. And so connecting that back to the music space for you, I think is takes some amount of sitting back and really doing that thinking, which we don't necessarily always have time to do as lawyers. So I think that is incredible. Hiring an executive coach is so cool and such a smart idea. I don't think something, honestly, I would have really thought of. So I just want to highlight that because like your brand and your messaging and everything, particularly if you are going to switch into an industry, as you said, that is, you know, insular, hard to get into and not the more kind of general MA you were doing. I can see how that would be incredibly helpful. And then like doing the showcase and like getting sort of the energy around that. And then, as you said, calling a friend who had some inside intel into downtown. There's so many things that you did to kind of make this opportunity manifest this opportunity, (laughs) but also actually boots on the ground, like do a ton of things to make this happen. And I just want to put that out there because I think A lot of times I think we look at resumes and we're like, oh man, wow, cool. Okay. He went from a big firm to uh, this awesome in-house job. And it seems like, oh, you must have just woken up one morning, done an interview and gotten into it. And it's like, that's not how it works. (laughs) So just like highlighting all of the work that went into getting that and the thoughtfulness behind the process as well. Like creative ideas really about how to do that. It's not easy at all, but really creative ideas about how to present yourself for that Mm -hmm. job and give yourself kind of new credentials for that job. Absolutely. Yeah, I thank you. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. A lot of times, especially in law, you can feel like I'm going down this one path and like, oh man, I already invested so much in this one path that whatever pivot I make has to be rooted in this path. And So for music, I think a lot of people would think, like, I didn't have an intellectual property background, right? My intellectual property background was solely from a transactional perspective. Like, oh, a company has IP, thinking through the intellectual property issues in a particular acquisition or something of the sort. But I was not, by any means, an IP lawyer to start. And I think a lot of people, when they think of music, they're like, oh, you got to be an IP lawyer. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, there are analogous situations in in many other fields that you might want to pivot to. And I think, yeah, the thought is, regardless of where you are, of course, earlier the better, but wherever you are, if you start to think, you know, there's something else that I'm interested in. One thing about being a lawyer is we're really great at learning new things and learning new rules and understanding new concepts. And there's no reason why you can't sort of pivot, get an understanding of what's involved in that industry and really dive in. Well, there's plenty of difficulty around and I'm not going to say, hey, just switch over and, you know, there will be no pain. (laughs) But um, you should certainly understand that there are a lot of opportunities out there to to jump and do something that you you really 
love if that's what you want, if that's what you're looking for. David, you are now the general counsel of Downtown Music Holdings as of, I think, about a month ago, which is super cool. So congrats. Thank you. Tell us how you found yourself sort of in that new role and what you've been up to in the last month or so since you started in that role. (laughs) It's another circuitous path. But um, (laughs) so I was at downtown for a few years and it was honestly the best experience of my career. And we went, we sort of came to a pivotal moment about, uh, I want to say a year ago now. So we were, just to actually take a step back and clarify the business, we started out as a music publisher and then through a series of acquisitions and organic expansion, really became a full service music company, right? So we were doing music publishing, which is working with songwriters, working with the songwriting component of the music copyright, right? If you split a song in half from a copyright perspective, you have the music publishing songwriter aspect, and then you have the sound recording, which is really what record labels deal in. So through organic growth and expansion, we were dealing with both sides of it now, not just music publishing, not just writers, but our sort of our core, or at least our original business at downtown was that music publishing songwriter aspect where we would enter into, we would either acquire copyrights, which was half of my job, music copyrights, or we would enter into what are called co-publishing agreements, which for the sake of explanation, think of it like a record deal for a songwriter where they're signing some of their ownership into a, some of their ownership in the publishing copyright to the company. And we help them with creative services, et cetera. So about a year ago, we sold all of our owned copyrights in a transaction. And once we made that pivot and that decision, I started to think about, okay, where, well, now let me reevaluate where I am in this part of the business. I really enjoy that aspect, that transactional aspect of acquiring copyrights. I really do want to continue to expand my musical knowledge in the field. Where do I move or where do I think actually my conclusion was, all right, stay right here at downtown, work under my mentor, continue to learn, continue to develop, and I would have been incredibly happy with that. That transaction that we went through was an incredibly growing process. I you know, led the, the legal aspect of it along with my mentor. And then the uh, opposing counsel who, not really opposing, but the counsel that worked with us from the buyer's perspective, who we negotiated with, reached out and said, you know what, why don't you come? work for us. And it was, it was really, you know, an awesome opportunity that they offered me to expand my experience just sort of beyond where I had been seeing, you know, focused before I rebuffed a couple of times, but you know, it was just such an awesome team there. And so ended up going to work for their team and, and moving to California. They were like, Hey, you want to come to, I was in New York at the time. You want to come to Century City and, and sort of work with us on and, and expanding our group, especially in this particular area. And I was like, you know what? It's, it's the right move. So we packed me and my wife packed up our things and she's incredible. The fact that she has, uh, how would you say, indulged me in my <laughs> adventures. So we packed up and she also really wanted warm weather. So she was yes. more than good. There you go. Um, came to LA and really had an amazing time working with this team, you know, for the, it was probably about seven months or so. And then I got a call from our CEO over downtown and he had mentioned that Peter, my, my mentor, had, uh, 
left or he was thinking about leaving to pursue an incredible opportunity that was just announced. He's actually now uh, EVP and head of business affairs at Warner Chapel, you know, oh, one of the largest wow. uh, publishers in the world, a major publisher, yeah. which is just incredible. And he's going to kill it. And so he was, he was looking at that or taking that opportunity. And so the CEO called me and, and asked whether I was interested in coming back in that role. And I was, you know, kind of shocked and that I was also immediately incredibly excited. Um, I was like, this is, this is what I wanted. It's exactly what I wanted to be in a situation where I get to do different things every day. I get to, I get to look at the company from like a whole perspective of everything that we're doing, not just acquisitions, but from a policy perspective, from a dealing with litigation, you know, the litigation matters that we might enter into every day, the various M&A activity that you might enter into every day, but also, you know, our client relationships and various aspects of the music industry, since we touch pretty much every part of it now and dealing with the different stakeholders at our company who work in our various business segments, I just thought I could not possibly pass up on this learning opportunity, especially since our CEO, I also consider him one of my mentors. So I was incredibly excited. I talked it over with my wife for about a day and she saw the smile on my face and was like, you know what, let's, uh, <laughs> let's do it. So yeah, I started early last week and it's been, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been fun so far. And it's been <laughs> awesome to sort of see the, you know, faces of people that I missed and, and uh, really jump into it. So it's, it's been great. David, how did that step away from downtown help you clarify what you wanted to do? I think it was a lot about the community and about the breadth of, of, of work that that downtown really does. So one of the things that I really missed is when I was at downtown, we started an ERG, an employee resource group called Black Power and Music, which really focused on championing and, and creating a voice for the Black employees of the company, but also Black people in the industry throughout. Mm -hmm. And I just remember it was something that had been birthed out of the really the turmoil after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna yeah. Taylor and really mm -hmm thinking through exactly how we can provide support and some, you know, my colleagues had really just come together and, and created this awesome, this awesome organization. And I just remember leaving my time at the law firm was, you know, it was awesome. It was really great people, but there was just a connection that I had missed, like in having those, those meetings that we would have, having those conversations, mm -hmm. having that community of support that I had had at downtown coupled with like understanding that in this new role that I was being offered, like the growth opportunities and from a music perspective and from a legal perspective were just unmatched. There's not yeah. many opportunities in the space to be able to step in and, and oversee and take a look at all of the nooks and crannies of the industry. A lot of general counsels in the industry tend to stay there for a very long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just combining all of those aspects of being able to get back into a community that I feel like I've helped build, I, I feel a part of it. And then also sort of getting this opportunity to grow and learn and expand my skill set and my knowledge base from a awesome team of executives who I think have taken a personal stake in my career development. It just, 
I couldn't possibly say no. It was really hard leaving my uh, team that I had just joined mm-hmm. at the law firm because I felt like I was letting them down a little bit just because they're they're awesome attorneys and they're, they're really doing something great in terms of building their practice and building their group. But they really understood just because this doesn't come around that often. Yeah. It, we had a conversation with another in-house counsel recently who talked about the allure of being able to be involved in every area of the company's business. And it sounds like that's something that's really important to you too. You love the M&A, you love the transaction side, but you're able to participate in other non-legal parts of the job that speak to your passion for music and the power that music has for everyone in the world. I Absolutely. love that. That's really cool. So I have a Thank music you. related question for you then. I'm going to take Uh-oh. advantage of your expertise. <laughs> so what what song would you say kind of embodies your career? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> totally out of left field, but <laughs> or a song that kind of pumps you up for your work day. One of my favorite groups growing up, they're called Little Brother. Okay. They're a duo of North Carolina rappers. They, they broke up a little while ago, but they came back for an album recently called May the Lord Watch. And one of my favorite rappers in that group, his name is Fonte. And one of the first songs I heard from that group is called Loving It. And it's just a really sort of, it's a really vibey song with some really cool samples. And it's just super happy. And it's a party. And I think the the message behind the song is like, they their career, you know, had been really blue collar. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they worked to get to where they are. And there have been trials and tribulations but the the chorus is really like can't stop won't stop like yes, yes. I'm lo- I love it like I'm loving it <laughs> and I was <laughs> like that's how I feel like it's been you know there have been some moments that have been difficult and there have been um some times that have been hard but at the end of the day the process has been awesome and the learning has been incredible and I honestly love what I do so it's it's been it's been great that's awesome. I love it when attorneys can say I love what I do because yeah. not everyone can say that, but you know, it just goes to show that if you find something where you worked hard to find something where you would love what you do, I think. Okay, so for our last question, I just want to ask what does success mean to you? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question because I think there are there are multiple parts to it. And I, I think I, I think I've whittled it down to two. At, growing up, especially you know younger and especially earlier on in my career, economic success had meant a lot to me just because mm-hmm. you know I, I grew up and we kind of went up and down on the economic scale, but a lot of mm-hmm. times things were really incredibly hard. And throughout the early parts, my mind was sort of settled on, you know what? I got to make money. I have to make sure that I'm sort of economically sound and I don't go through any of the things that I went through growing up. I think right around the time that I realized music is, is the space I wanted to be in is probably the time that I realized that that's not everything. And that of course, that's an important part of one's career, but it just cannot be the thing that leads me down the path. I think what I've realized, especially with the support that my wife has provided throughout these years, she's been, oh man, she's been incredible. And I always think about like, could I have done any of this or could I have gone through any of these moments if if I didn't have her in my life? And it's 
unequivocally no. I just couldn't have have done any of these processes, or I wouldn't have had the the support. I wouldn't have the, the confidence to go through what I went through um, without her in my life. And so I've realized that it's a combination of family sort of understanding that I'm there and I am sort of a support system and I can be the best that I can be for my family, whether it be my parents, my wife or my siblings, that I'm like sort of a positive influence in their life. And that in turn, that I'm doing something that makes me happy enough and that gives me enough fulfillment to make sure that I can be that. So I think it's the combination of those things. And I'm sure I'll learn along the way, I'll learn more about what it means to be successful. But so far, I think that's what I've been able to distill it to. David, thank you so much for your time today in this truly fascinating conversation. It's been really fun to get to know you and to learn about your career. And we're so excited to see where it takes you next with downtown. So thanks for joining us. We're really, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been one incredible experience and I've enjoyed over the last few weeks listening to this podcast and I will be a lifelong listener. So oh, please thank you. Awesome. We'd love to hear it. <laughs> we'll see you soon. All right. Don't go away. There's more to come in the due diligence portion of our show. Allison, we are back with due diligence, and this is a true due diligence because we talked to an M and A attorney today. Oh, law jokes! Make me laugh. <laughs> um, I'm glad you appreciate my joke. I think David even mentioned due diligence a few times in his discussion with he us did. today. So he did. Yes. Yes, we're so funny here on personal jurisdiction, but. We had so much fun talking to David and learning about his career and how he decided to pursue a legal career related to the music industry. And something that has stuck with me from our conversation with David was his comment about how difficult it is to make somewhat of a drastic change in the type of law that you're practicing when you feel that you've already invested so much in a certain path. I think both of us, Allison, can identify with that Mm -hmm. because we've both made major changes in our legal careers doing something, even though not topically different from some of what we did before, a totally different environment. And David gave great insight into his thought process in doing that, why it was important to him, you know, and the really difficult path that he had to get there and the creative ways that he decided to pursue a career in the music industry as legal counsel. I think to his comment about hiring a career coach feeds into that a little bit too, because that's certainly a really helpful resource to have when you're thinking about making a career change. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've chatted with anyone else about that, how instrumental a career coach can be. Even if you're thinking about making a change, a smaller change, or even if you're just thinking about trying to make your work environment better, because I know that career coaches can help you pursue opportunities within your current place of work or Mm -hmm. to think about creating a plan for making a change by, you know, not like finding opportunities for you. That's not their role, 
that's a recruiter's role, but helping you identify your values, what's important to you in a workplace, clarifying all that so you're ready to present the best version of yourself when you're finding opportunities that you're interested in. So a lot of good advice from David in this episode. No, definitely. I mean, I think on the career coaching front, as attorneys, sometimes we're so busy on the day-to-day that it's really hard to take a step back and actually identify those values and where it is we want to go next. And so we talked a little bit with David on the episode about actually the fact that he just took the time to do that, let alone hiring a coach, which I think is awesome to not only help brand you um, and where you want to go next, but just as you said, to identify your values and, you know, what it is that you like are truly connecting with in the law, Mm -hmm. right? Just because you're an M&A lawyer, like you might like doing purchase agreements, you might like doing the due diligence. I'm saying these things sort of (laughs) not entirely knowing what what that looks like because I've never done it, but there are different aspects of every single legal career and really honing in on the very specific things that you like and taking those with you into your next career move Mm -hmm. and maybe weeding out some of the things that you didn't particularly like in a previous job, I think can be so helpful. So just having the time and wherewithal to step back and do that, I think is awesome. And then to your first point, just about being brave enough to mm-hmm. make a change when you have invested so much time in something, I think is really hard to do. Yeah. I know that I was absolutely terrified, quite frankly, <laughs> to say, okay, first of all, I'm going to make you know less money. I'm going to go into a completely different line of work. Like, can I do that? How will I be able to learn how to do this you know, new thing? But David did such a nice job of highlighting the role of mentors throughout his career and people who are willing to sit down with him and take the time to actually teach him. And I think that, as he said, as lawyers, we're good at learning new skills. As it turns out, that's one of the things that makes our job cool. So trusting kind of in that process and in your legal training in some ways, I think can be comforting even during the storm of trying to figure out how to make a change can be helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I know we both really appreciated David's candor about his path. You know, you can look at his current job and see, be really impressed by it. It's absolutely amazing, not only because he's general counsel, but also because he really wanted to be in the music industry. But he certainly shared with us everything it took to get there. And, you know, we love highlighting that part of the story, too, because it's it's something we all go through, but we don't necessarily share. So We are so thankful to David for joining us for this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time. See you next time. Personal jurisdiction is powered and distributed by Simplecast. You don't have to wait until next week to hear more. You can find us online at personaljxpod.com and on Twitter at personaljxpod. Don't forget to subscribe to Personal Jurisdiction on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen so that you can be updated on the latest and greatest from Personal Jurisdiction. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate us five stars and leave a positive review so that other listeners can find our show too.